message is surrounding the Word of God, and the title of the message is Let's Eat. You like to eat? Yes. All right, a few hungry folks out there, and they're like, I wish you'd get done so I can go get some lunch, right? So tell me, what's your favorite food over here, your section? Favorite food, just shout it out. Bread. Steak? What? Bread. Bread, wow, okay. Man should not live, woman should not live on bread alone. Let's go. That's good. I like bread too. Anybody else over here? All right, middle section. Cajun. Cajun, yeah? Fish. Fish. Bread. Yeah, all right, over here, this section. What? Cram Who? Cram yeah, cram leg, huh? Everything. Everything. All right, yeah, I like it. That's great. Okay, we're back over to this side. What is your least favorite food? Brussels sprouts. I heard that in the first service. Anything else? Yeah, Brussels sprouts. That's the only one. How about here? Your least favorite fruit. Middle section. Liver. <laughs> hey, that used to be a delicacy when I grew up. Liver and onions on Sunday dinner. That was good stuff. How about here? Least favorite fruit. Lasagna. Oh, man. You must be from another country. Get out of here. <laughs> Anything else? All right. Well, that's interesting because we all have a favorite food. We all have a least favorite food and uh, worms. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. You know, some people just like basic food and other people are into gourmet. I mean, it really depends on the individual. It's not about any one thing or whether one's better than another. In the New Testament, Jesus was invited to a lot of dinners. They were mainly fish fries. <laughs> But that was uh, what he was invited to. Every once in a while, they would kill the fatted calf. And he would, uh, if you call it a step up, go to step up the fatted calf. If he went to visit John the Baptist, he would have locusts topped off with honey. I'm not sure that's appetizing, but that's what, that's what Jesus had when he went to visit John the Baptist. They said he ate, ate locusts with wild honey. Uh, obviously, John the Baptist was not a Baptist, or he would have had fried chicken for Jesus, but he, uh, he, he was sticking with locusts and, and honey. Um, I've got a friend of mine that's traveled the world, and one of the things that he noticed, he said, food opens the door to relationship. Food opens the door to relationship. He was traveling by himself, going to places he knew nobody but he said, I came away from those towns and cities that I was in knowing someone, in fact, at deep levels because we sat down and we had food together. So you want to get to know somebody? Invite them out for a meal. Take them out for a meal. You know, invite somebody in, sit around the table, eat together, and you'll get a window into their soul. Well, the Bible makes this comparison between food and the Word of God, meaning that as we read the Bible, we actually get nourished in our soul. And there's a connection between that. And that's what we're going to dive in today to see this connection of how, about food and um, how it then, as we read the Word of God and understand it, that it actually nourishes our soul. In fact, uh, when Jesus was uh, 40 days of fasting in the desert, the first thing that the devil tempted him with was food. Change this rock into bread, you know, food. So, um, again, it's, it's definitely something that, uh, that is in our culture and in our system. In fact, in the Bible, if you've read it, uh, food can actually be contentious. Meaning that sometimes in, the, in Paul's letters, they're like, well, you can't eat that because that food is offered to idols. 
Well, it might have been perfectly good food, but their thought was, because it was offered to idols, we shouldn't eat it. Then there was also the, the, the dialogue about, uh, oh, well, you can't fix food on Saturday, on the Sabbath. You've you got to prepare it on Friday and eat it, but you can't fix it. You know, if you do that, you're breaking the law. And, and, and obviously, Peter, he had a vision about unclean animals coming down, and, and, and God says, eat that. And he's like, no, absolutely not. I'm, I'm a kosher Jew. You know, I'm not going to dive into that, you know, unclean animals and so forth. Well, God had another plan in mind. He wanted him to go to people that Jewish people didn't think a lot of. And, and uh, of course, he did that. Uh, Peter was agreement with God's plan, but that's how God came to him first, was in the manner of food that he was rejecting. And then the Lord showed him a way through of what he really had in mind. The verse I have selected for you is out of Revelation verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Revelation 3, verse 20. And it says, uh, Jesus is speaking to a church, Laodicea, and he's telling them some things they need to correct, and he's also telling them some things that uh, they would do well if they would uh, get counsel from. And then he kind of summarizes this. He said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If I, you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. It's a New Living Translation. I like that because it, it makes me aware that Jesus is always available. He wants to come in and nourish me and encourage me and build my faith up and strengthen me when I get down. And he says, I'm always available. I'm standing there knocking, but you, I, have to open the door. We have to decide we want to sit with God and read the Word of God and pray the Word of God. We make that decision. He doesn't make that for us. But he said he's always standing there ready to nourish our soul, refresh us by reading the word of God. If we would make the decision and open the door and let him in, we would sit at a table and he said we would discuss whatever you want to as friends. That's pretty powerful when you think about that word picture that is given to us in Revelation 3.20. So how does this uh, work? Uh, I mean, in other words, when we come to read the Bible... What should we come with reading the Bible? How should we approach it in a sense? Well, there's really two views I would suggest that when you come and open up your Bible that you, you begin to read it with these two views in mind. Before I look at those two views though, Psalm 34.8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. It actually says, taste and see. If you, if you dig into that word, taste in the, in the figurative sense means to perceive that God is good. Perceive that God, see that God is good. In a literal sense, it means taste. Taste means taste. Imagine that. <laughs> and so God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Perceive that he is good. You see, there's people that come and they begin reading the Bible for different reasons than what God intended it to be read for. Like, for instance, we can read this Bible thinking that as we read it and apply it, we're going to have a good life. And lots of times there's truth to that. However, I don't know about you, but I'm a follower of Jesus and I have problems sometimes just like everybody else. I, got, I was up at the altar this morning praying for a relationship breakthrough. I mean, I've got, I've got issues that are going on in my life and things that are going on in the world. Sometimes I've had financial challenges. Sometimes I've had physical problems. Sometimes I've had doctrinal issues. 
that God had to, you know, straighten me out so I could believe like he wanted me to believe. I've been through all that. The world goes through that. We have that in common. We have troubles in common. Except, as believers, we should have believe, as we sang this morning, that God will bring us a victory. That he's not leaving us just to walk through this ourselves, but he actually wants to be with us and help us and show us the way and give us the victory. That's the difference between us and the world, that we actually have that. So if you're just looking for a book to, again, have a good life, yeah, there's elements of that. But if that's the only thing you're looking for the Bible to do for you, then you're going to be disappointed. Because you'll have challenges, you'll have difficulties, you'll have things that you wonder whether, where God's at. It's just a fact of walking through this life at this time. Another way some people can read the Bible is just, it's a piece of great literary work. It's, I mean, it's just the way it's written and the concepts there. I remember my friend Rusty, he's over on the other side with Jesus right now. And Rusty said he came to, came to the Lord in his mid-30s. And as he opened up the Bible, he didn't know anything about the book. He just opened it up and started in the beginning. He started in Genesis and he started reading. And he felt, wow, so profound. Such concepts. They're simple, but yet they're so profound in how God describes how the world was created. He was just impacted by the, the literary writing of how it was written as he walked through. He was just amazed. And people can read the Bible just for the fact that it's a great literary book. And if that's the reason you're reading it, that's what you'll get. You won't get anything else. People can, uh, again, read the Bible for other reasons, not just those two. They can uh, read it for a book of doctrine. In other words, learn what to do and what not to do in life. And let me just caution you, if that's your sole purpose of reading the book for doctrine, you're going to build a fence around your life, and sooner or later, you're the only one going to be in there. You won't let other people in because they believe a little bit different from you, but because you've read this book and you've settled your doctrine, then you're not going to let anybody else in that is still in the book, but they believe a little bit different from you. If that's your purpose for reading the Bible, and there's a lot of Christians today that sometimes just read this book for doctrine. But here's the two views that I want to give you to, when you approach, pick up the Bible, begin to read it. I want to encourage you to think with this in mind. Number one, read it with building relationship with the loving God. Read this book and think, I'm building a relationship with a loving God. 1 Peter 2, 23, uh, uh, 2 and 3. Peter says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full expression of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of God's kindness. That's what we did this morning in worship. We cried out for God to come and to touch us in areas of need. And Peter writes that in his book. He says, I want you to crave this spiritual milk, this, this pure food. Crave it. Cry out for it. And he said, as a result of that, you'll experience the fullness of your salvation. Not just a limited part, but a fullness of your salvation. And so that's really, really powerful to understand. The second aspect of, of how I believe that we should come and read the Word of God is that it's giving us spiritual nourishment for our soul. It's giving our soul spiritual nourishment. 
that we can have to sustain us through life and encounter the things that, that go that way. Jeremiah 15, 16, he writes, When your words came, I ate them, and they were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord Almighty. There's three prophets in the Bible that literally ate the word of God. <laughs> it wasn't figuratively. The scroll, the words were written on the scroll and they consumed them in their mouth. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and John. Here's what they found when they ate, literally ate the word of God. Ezekiel says it tasted like honey. Imagine that. God, God took that, that page of words and he transformed it somehow, reconstituted it somehow, that it tasted like honey. That's what uh, Ezekiel said. Jeremiah said it brought joy to his heart. When he literally ate the word of God, it brought joy to his heart. And John said, it was sweet in my mouth and bitter in my stomach. Sweet in my mouth and bitter in my stomach. Must have been good food. Uh, they tell me today that the more bitter the food is, the better it is for you. So Brussels sprouts are the winners. I mean, we've got to learn to eat because it's good for us. At least that's what they tell me. I'm not convinced yet, but I, I do tolerate Brussels sprouts. I like Brussels sprouts the first time around. I don't like reheated Brussels sprouts. That's like, bleh. Anyhow, little window into my taste buds, all right? The point is that the Word of God is just not a book. It is given to us to, to show us how God relates to his people and then relates to us. It shows us that when we read it, and understand it in that way that we're actually getting nourished in our soul. That we're being built up and encouraged as we receive what he has to say from, uh, from, from the book to us. Now, number two, how exactly does the Bible reading feed our soul? How exactly does that take place? I've just said that it does take place, but how exactly does it? Let's wade into that today. Uh, if you have your Bibles or devices, you can open up to John chapter 6. Let's look at John chapter 6 here for a, a few moments. And uh, I'm going to end the verse that I have for you. And the point is where I'm going to end today. But I want to read, read some verses prior to that of Jesus uh, talking to his disciples in the crowd. And he's not having a good day. He's really not. Uh, the, the people are just not hearing what he's saying. I mean, he's saying some pretty straightforward stuff. They're interpreting it entirely different from how he meant it. And, and at the end of it, it's, it's so rough. In fact, they leave. They're like, well, we're not following you anymore. I mean, this is just ridiculous. But again, they weren't, they weren't able to get on the plane. It was a pretty rough day for Jesus, but things did turn around for him. Let's kind of read some of the words that he, he said, and then we'll finish up with the, the final. I'm going to start reading in verse 53, John 6, 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. He who feeds on this bread will live forever. 
He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Aware of that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? And this is where I'm landing. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus is saying here that as we understand that his word, the Bible, has life in it, but how do we receive that life? That's what we're going to look into here for a few moments. Now, there's two Greek words that are interpreted in our English Bible word or the word. One is called logos and the other is called rhema. What is a logos word? Well, I have a, a verse there in John 1.1. 1, 1. It says, in the beginning, the word, that is logos, directly uh, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word logos was with God and the logos word was God. What's that saying? Basically saying that Jesus called himself a logos, which means he is the constant one. For example, this book is written and it's the words of God and it's printed and, and when I, I have a certain chapter and verse that I go to, I can go to that same chapter and verse tomorrow and it'll still be the same words. I can go to it a week from now and Jeremiah 29, 11 will say, still say, I have the, the plans I have for you are to prosper you and give you hope in the future, not for trouble or for harm. So it is the constant word. Every time I go back to it, it's the same words. And so Jesus calls himself the Logos, the constant one, the same words. We go back and read them again. But then there's a time, and you've probably had this happen to you, that you're reading along the constant word, the planned word, the word we go back to, and all of a sudden something jumps out at you. You're like, wow, that's for me. I didn't see that before. I didn't know that was in there. Wow, I'm going to have to think about that. What is that? That is the rhema word of God. That's when the Spirit has taken a hold of something that He wants you to know personally and He wants you to receive that day to nourish your soul. So as you're reading the constant word of what you read before, it'll be there tomorrow, suddenly all of a sudden there's something that will jump out to you and take hold of you. That is the rhema word of God. In fact, when, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, He was uh, in, the, in the wilderness and hadn't eaten and and uh, they said, you know, make the stones to bread. And Jesus said uh, that he wouldn't do that. He said that every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that word is rhema. Every word that proceeds, we're supposed to live out of every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Hello. This is great. We're supposed to live by every word that comes out of the tweet. I'm not sure what that was about, but. Thunderstorm. Oh. Wow. All right. Was that the uh, emergency broadcast or something? Sound like it, wasn't it? All right. So we're going on here. God's in the house, right? He can take care of the storms. We sang about that too. So we got the Logos word. We got the Rhema word. The Logos word is the constant. The Rhema word jumps out into us because the Spirit has uh, called us to, um, to receive that word for us today. He wants to feed us by that. Now, when, words, when the words are transformed into spirit, our soul gets nourished. When the words are transformed into spirit, then our soul gets nourished. What in the world is that all about? 
In other words, if I, if I take this page and, and tear it out and eat it, I won't necessarily get spiritual nourishment. But if I read this word and the Holy Spirit begins to quicken these words in my life, then all of a sudden I begin to get nourished. They get transferred. The physical gets transferred into or translated into spirit. I was diving into this a, a little, bit, little bit deeper today and, and what I found is our bodies do not digest inorganic material, only organic material. Our bodies can't digest inorganic material. In other words, I can't, I can't get anything out of eating these glasses. It's plastic. If I would eat a rock or eat a piece of wood, maybe, you know, salt water, I guess we can, our bodies can absorb a little bit of that, but who would want to go that route? So that, that's, that our bodies just can't absorb that material. But what they can absorb is plants and animals that eat the plant, and, you know, we eat the meat and vegetables and fruit. They can't absorb that. But they can't, we can't just go out and eat dirt. I mean, we might get a little bit to stay, but hardly anything. We can't eat dirt. It's like me eating this word. But, but the plant, but the, the ground has the substance to grow plants that then our bodies can absorb. So there's a mediator in between the earth and our bodies. It's called plants and meat and fruit and nuts. And that's what we eat and that's what we get nourished by. And so in the same way as we read the words, they're just words. But when the Holy Spirit takes and translates those words, then we get nourished by them. The Holy Spirit is the mediator between the actual words that we read and the nourishment that we get. The words were birthed in the Holy Spirit. And so we need the Holy Spirit in order to bring life to the words for our soul to be nourished. Does that make sense? Let me give you a couple of verses that kind of uh, support that. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. All of these physical words that I read were God-breathed from the Holy Spirit. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, training our soul. Here's another one. 2 Peter, Peter 1, 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about from the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but the prophets through the human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This, this book that we read that were, was prophesied originally and then written down, it didn't come from human soul. It came from God through the human soul mixed with the Holy Spirit and then it was written down and now we read it today. And then we let the Holy Spirit mix what we read again and then it nourishes us today just like it nourished the first people that heard it. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. My point is the word of God as we read it, it had its origin first in the Holy Spirit, then written down, then as we read it, it must be mixed with the Holy Spirit 
and then it will nourish us again. The last point in how this works is it primarily happens when we pray it. It primarily, the mix happens when we pray it. In other words, we're reading uh, along and we see something that steps out to us. Instead of go, oh, that's nice, that's cool, God must be speaking to me, we actually go, wow, I need this into my life. Holy Spirit, help me apply this. Help me to work this into my belief system. Help me uh, make sure that, that when I see that person again, I'm able to do what is needed because it's written here in this word. That, that would be praying the word of God. And so when we pray the word of God and share the word of God with others, then this mixture actually happens and our soul gets nourished as we pray it. Now, there's several intakes. Before I jump into that, that's number three, I want to share the scripture in Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Notice that. Helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Sword of the spirit, not physical sword, but of the spirit. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Now, oftentimes people in a certain denominational strain will say, well, when you pray in the spirit, that means you're praying in tongues or praying in a prayer language. I don't, it includes that, but I don't limit it to that. In other words, when I'm praying in English, I believe I'm praying in the spirit or by the spirit, even though I'm praying in English. I don't believe that, that I you know, pray in a prayer language and then switch over to English that I've stopped praying in the spirit or by the spirit. No, I believe that I'm equally in the spirit on both occasions. So we get to number three, and that is the proper diet through the Word of God comes through various intakes. If you want to eat food, I mean, I, I get the intravenous thing, all right, that happens today, but that's more of a modern thing. You want to eat food, it comes through the mouth, right? That's the, the only way. You try to stick it in the ear, the nose, or, I don't, yeah, putting things in the, putting water in the nose doesn't work. I mean, that's, that just doesn't come out right. So that's the primary way that we receive physical food is through the mouth. But in the, in the way that we read the Bible, there's actually six different intakes that we can have in receiving his word to nourish our soul. John 6.45, Jesus said, The prophets wrote, Everyone will be taught by God. Everyone who hears the Father and learns from him comes to me. The first intake that we have is our ears. Our ears hear the word. In fact, before the Bible was written down, that's primarily how people received the word of God was through hearing. They had one book. And the prophet would read it, they would gather, and they would they'd hear it. And really, the printing presses came about in 1500, 1600, somewhere in there. And so things were able to, I mean, they, they were able to write it down. That was a long process, but as far as Printing and a rapid thing is more of a modern, modern aspect that we all have our own copy, so to speak. But our ears hear the word of God. That's a, of an, an, an intake. Romans 12, uh, Romans 10, 17 says this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The next intake is our eyes. We read the word. Deuteronomy 17, 19, when he takes... The throne of the kingdom, he will, 
he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levite priest. It is to be with him. He is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. And do not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. And he and his descendants will reign a long time over the kingdom of Israel. He points out in this verse here in Deuteronomy where we are expected to read the word of God all of our life to nourish our soul and to be updated and to be encouraged by the Lord as we read it. The third intake is our minds. We study the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent. Some translations say study to show yourself approved. This one says be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of truth. When you study, you engage your mind, and we do that with the Word of God. Acts 17 11 says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul was saying was true. I am not offended at all. If I say something up here and you're like, I don't know if that's true. And you go and examine the scriptures to discover what I'm saying has merit or not. I am not offended by that at all. In fact, I recommend. In fact, I employ you to do that. Don't take what I say as the gospel. All right? Um, that's my goal, to present it as truth to you. But sometimes in our hearing and understanding and certain things. And hey, you know what? I could misquote a scripture. Who knows? I'm still human, all right? But my intent is to share truth, but yet if you don't quite get it in the way that you think you should, dig it out. Dig into the Word. Find out for yourselves. That's what these Berean people did. They didn't just take the pastor's word for it. And that's okay. It doesn't offend me at all. The next intake is our mouth. Praise the Word of God. You think, well, that's an outtake, but it's really an intake because as we're praying, we're also mixing it with our spirit. Exodus 4.12, the Lord said to him, Moses, I gave, you, I gave human beings their mouths. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gave them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and teach you what to say. God says he's actually giving us the words to say as we pray or as we're in situations where we need to speak truth. Jeremiah 1.9 when he was being called into ministry, the Lord said this. Then the Lord reached out in his hand and he touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah knew when he spoke he was speaking God's word because God touched his mouth. So another intake that we have is the mouth of the word of God that we pray. Another one is this, is our heart meditates on the word. Here's another intake. Our heart meditates on the word. Psalms 119, 15 and 16, and then 23 and 24. They say this. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I meditate on them. I ruminate on them. I process them. I store them in my heart. And then 23 and 24 says this. The rulers sit and slander me. 
Your servant will meditate, meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. So he writes here that other people are ridiculing him because he's a believer. And he says, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm going to meditate on the word of God. It builds me up and becomes my counselor. And then the final is our spirit memorizes the word of God. Your mind doesn't memorize. Your mind forgets. Your mind can recall. Your mind forgets. But when you memorize something over and over again, where is that stored? It's stored in your spirit. And then you're, you're at a place in life where you need to call that up to remember the goodness of God or a promise of God or something that he's shown you in the past. If that's stored in your spirit. That's the hard drive that God put in us is our spirit within. And so, yeah, our minds may have learned it, but it's stored in our spirit. And so that's another intake that comes out from us is that we, our spirit actually memorizes the word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then John 16.15 says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me and he will make it known to you. A very simple process that Jesus said, I'm hearing from the Father. And when you have your Holy Spirit within me, which is the Spirit of Jesus in us, he said, I'm going to take what is in you that's in me, and I'm going to recall it back to you so that you can have it when you need it. So six different intakes that we have available to us that we can receive the Word of God. And I think sometimes that we only use maybe one or two. But we don't realize that all six are available, that if we recognize that we need to, to then up our game and, and get more input of how the Word of God affects and nourishes our life, that our salvation and our walk with God will be closer and more profound and more proficient because we're taking in six different inputs into our life rather than one or two. So I want to expand you this morning and realize that uh, we have these different intakes available to us the question is, are we using them? And I come to number four, and that is, is the table set in your life? Is the table set in your life? If you're getting ready to have a meal with somebody, ordinarily, you set the table first, right? You put down the plates and the silverware and the glasses and napkin, and all the table is set, and then the food comes. And in the same way, that's our job, set the table, and then God brings the food. And we're the ones that need to take the time to set a, a time during the day and to have a plan to read his word and to write down the ramas that he's given to us and to begin to pray those and then to share those with other people that it can bring life to them like it brought, brought life to us. We're the ones that need to set that time and place and have that plan. And that's a part of the application step of this week's lesson is that you actually have that place that you go to. And again, I'm not asking that it, that it, you know, that it be an everyday thing. I miss a day or two once in a while. But I have my chair in my bedroom. That's my stationary place. I get up, get a cup of coffee, and I sit down with the Lord and begin to read whatever. Right now I'm going through the Psalms. I'm reading five Psalms a day and just 
you know, whatever stands out to me. That's what I'm doing in the process. I've done different things. I've, you know, read the Bible through in a year and, and, and read several books for a period of time. But that's currently what I'm doing. I have a plan. I've set the table for me to come in and begin to hear from God in that way. And that's the things that we have done. If we don't do that, what will happen is that there will be a hardness of heart that will begin to come into our life. Hardness against hearing him, hardness against cooperating with what he wants to do, hardness against some things he wants us to grow in. Now, Jesus was asked the question, why are so many people getting divorced? And his simple answer was this, it's because of hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. And if you think about it, people that have gone through a relationship, break up uh, after they've been in covenant of marriage, what's happened? It's usually one has grown cold, one has grown hard, one has decided that they're going to walk away from that covenant. There's a hardness of heart that happens. And God says, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for your relationships or for your marriage or for people. And the way that we do that is we continue to nourish our soul, even to the fact that we can be around difficult people. But if our soul was nourished up, we'll have grace for that situation and that person and that challenge in a way that other people won't because they haven't nourished up their soul by feeding it the Word of God and letting the Holy Spirit translate that into life-giving ability. That's how it works. You know, I heard recently that you can do three things with the Word of God. You can either accept it, you can reject it, or you can neglect it. You can accept it, you can reject it, or you can neglect it. And most often what happens after you've given your heart to Christ is so easy to neglect it. And yet that's the very lifeblood that sustains us and walks us into the fullness of the salvation that we've received. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Allowing us to understand the full nature of what you have given us in your word. And how this book we call the Bible is not just a list of do's and don'ts or some great literature or how to live a good life. But there's a transforming quality that you had in mind. That when we read that we get to know a loving God. And as we read and invite the Holy Spirit to, to be the mediator between the words in our life, that then we get nourished in our soul and built up and blessed so that we can not only glorify you, but be a blessing to other people. I pray today, God, that if we need to go back home and set the table, so that we have a place and a plan that we would purpose to go back and set the table for tomorrow so that we would sit down and say God I'm ready I'm ready to not only read your constant word but I'm ready to receive your rhema word that you would actually have the Holy Spirit come and, and begin to, to lift you up and, and show you things that you hadn't seen because you have a new view of why you're reading the Word of God. 
Lord, let us always get to the place where we're wanting to accept and learn from the word. God, help us when we reject your word. Don't let us stray too far if we reject your word. And Lord, maybe give us a kick in the behind if we start neglecting your word. To say, my son, my daughter, that's not what I've called you to.